Meryl Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Meryl Memo podcast. On today's show we'll discuss the continued expansion of the School of Rural Health here in Dubbo. We'll also look at some of the major outcomes of this week's council meeting, along with acknowledging some of our region's finer citizens who were recipients at this year's Dubbo Day Awards. Good morning, Matt. How's your week been, mate? It's been busy, actually. I feel like getting towards Christmas, things do get busier, but the Christmas parties haven't actually started yet, and that seems to make things even busier. But I think it's that thing about the old joke, the world would stop if there wasn't a deadline to make, and... When Christmas is coming up, there's a deadline. Yes. So things have got to be finished and people have got to get things done. So I think it actually tends to make it a bit busier. And you need at least Christmas Day, but usually a few days to recover from how busy it has been before Christmas. So it's really ramping up. We're not even into December yet, but it's oh, really ramping no. up. At least uh, at least got that beautiful weather starting to kick in out there right now. So it's nice actually to feel days over 30 degrees all of a sudden. And no rain. That's no been rain. very What's exciting that? for the last I know. What's that blue thing week? in the sky? What's that thing? <laughs> Hopefully we can get that going. That would make things a lot nicer for a whole range of areas. But Absolutely. we say that now. In a couple months' time, we'll say, oh, no, there's been no rain for a couple of months. Where's that rain? Rained. Where's that cool change? Oh, what's <laughs> happening? Mate, look, so I'd like to start off today with uh, something very exciting for a few of our uh, wonderful local citizens here, and that is, of course, the Dubbo Day Awards. Now, during the week, you had the chance to recognise some of our very finest citizens, I must admit. So, so talk me through it. What actually happened, and who were some of these great recipients this year? Well, let me go back just a little bit with the Dubbo Day Awards. The Dubbo Village was declared or proclaimed on the 23rd of November, 1849. So before that, there were people hanging around here in Dubbo. There were people probably squatting on a bit Mm. of land here and there. The Emil Sarissias of our world, those sort of guys. He started probably around about that sort of time, not long before that. And he was smart enough to realise that there were some government buildings. Back around 1847 and 1848, we had a couple of government buildings and then Sarissia opened a general store because he probably thought, well, a couple of government buildings, a couple of government employees. Mm. Oh, they might need some supplies. An so, opportunity there to make a couple of dollars. Yeah, good entrepreneur. But even though you talk about John Oxley, maybe around 1818, and Delhunty, Robert Delhunty was probably around 1828, the actual official start of Dubbo was that date, 23rd of November, 1849. Jump forward about 150 years. Just a slight little jump. That's right. Go to our sesquicentenary, and they had a thing called the Dubbo 150 Certificate. So someone came up with the idea of acknowledging these people that have done some great work in our community over the last 150 years, and they gave out a bunch of certificates. Hmm. Then the council of the day said, well, that worked really well. Should we just wait another 150 years, or should we start doing that maybe on an annual basis? So from 2002 onwards, we've had a thing called the Dubbo Day Award. The name's changed slightly, yeah. but effectively this whole concept. So they've actually really been going for 20 years? Yeah, 20 years, just yeah, over right. 20 years has okay. been going. And the idea here is it's not about the people on the front page of the paper. It's not about the people in the limelight. We've still got our Citizen of the Year Awards, our Sportsperson Awards, those type of things on Australia Day. These awards seem to be the quiet achievers, Mm. the people behind the scenes making things happen, Mm. not asking for any glory, not out there to do it for any other reason than just because the job needs to be done. So it's actually a really to me, a really exciting process yeah. that I get to sit on the judging panel and we get all these applications come in mm. and reading through them, you go, wow, there's some people out there doing some things. And the thing that really strikes me is that most of the applications that come in, they're not just involved in one organisation. Mm. You'll start yes, to read about, gee, they're doing some great work with that organisation. Oh, hold on, they're doing some work with this organisation and this other organisation. Yes. So it's a this constant process of all these different organisations they're involved with. So jump to 23rd of November 2022 and we had our Dubbo Day Awards, our annual event. And at that, we had 10 awards we gave away. So okay. nine are technically called Dubbo Day Awards. And there's the one extra we give, which is the Tony McGrain Award. Right. Now, that didn't start 20 years ago. It was started after Tony died. Mm. And he died in 2004. So it's basically a slightly different version. All the other ones are volunteers. So are all those other nine awards, they're all about basically acknowledging volunteers in the community? Correct. Now, there was acknowledgement at some point in the past where there are some people who do some absolutely fantastic work in the community, but they might be in a paid job. So in your environment, you might know of a school teacher that gets paid to be a school teacher, 
but he coaches the footy team and he takes kids away when they're on excursions and he's always there on weekends helping out with some tutoring and you know they're just doing all this extra work. They're not being paid for it, but it's kind of part of their paid employment. Mm. So they introduced the Tony McGrain Award as a slightly separate award to the Double Day Awards for people that are in paid employment that are doing some fantastic work and they're probably volunteering with some other things as well. So this year we had the one Tony McGrain Award, which is normal, and then nine Double Day Awards. And that number can vary a little bit. There's a bit of flexibility in that because... Some years you get lots more applications sure. than other so it years. it depends upon the nominations and applications. It does, through. yeah. So we try and be a bit flexible there. There is a, a maximum cutoff, but normally you don't want to have more than, say, 20 given away there. It becomes a bit meaningless if mm. everyone gets one, but mm. you just vary that depending on those nominations. But again, there was one, and, and someone joked about it afterwards, there was one when I was reading out the citation for each person as they were collecting the awards on the night, reading out the citation, all the different things they've done, and there was one that it went for about a page and a half. Is that right? And I actually got about halfway through it, and I said, look, I'm really sorry to this person, really sorry, but there is so much stuff you've done here. I'm not going to read out everything you've done. We'll be here all night listening to all that's these things you've done. just say you're a wonderful contributor. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and she had a bit of a laugh about it. But that's the sort of thing that you see. It's just that's in that club and this club and that club. And wow, you've done all these different things. It's like things. the old line, you know, if you want something done, go and ask a busy person. And that's exactly right. So I know nine people to go and ask if yes, I want something right. done yeah, there. You've got the nice little list there lined up now. <laughs> that's right. But the other thing that's quite nice about it is we used to have this tradition, which has now been reintroduced this year, where we used to get former councillors involved as well as current councillors. So sitting around on the night, we actually had three former councillors involved. We had our current councillors, and they're the ones actually handing out these Dubbo Day certificates. So it just gives that nice bit of linkage back to the past Mm. to say, well, we as current councillors are here today, but we understand there was lots of work done by previous councils and councillors to get to where we are today. In fact, about 150 years of work that's been done Mm. because... 1872 was when we declared a municipality. So this is actually our 150th year of being a municipality. And that's when the first mayor was elected in 1872. You don't have a mayor for a village, Mm. but once it became a municipality, you needed a council and a mayor. Mm. So it was a nice night. It's really quite an uplifting experience. There were probably 50 or 60 people in the room there on the night watching these people get these awards. A lot of family members, I'd assume. Yeah, family members and friends and then casual onlookers who want to just come and see because it, it makes you feel good about the community. Well, it's inspiring when you meet these people. Well, it really it's, is. it's actually uplifting, inspiring, and almost you feel a bit guilty. You think, am I yeah. doing enough? Look at what these people are doing. Yeah, that's right. Maybe I should pick up my act and do a little bit more. So really nice event. Uh, I'd encourage anyone, obviously there'll be another event next year, that if you know someone who's out there doing something in the community, put an application in. It's one mm. of those things that's confidential. That person doesn't have to know about it. And it's just that way of patting someone on the back and saying you've done a, a fantastic job and... Keep the job going, I suppose, is the important part of it as well. Keep doing it. Now you've got the certificate, don't stop, which I'm sure these people well, won't. There is one more question, of course. Who won the Tony McGrain Award? So the Tony McGrain Award was won this year by Jeff Mann. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that and fantastic? Jeff obviously has done a lot of work in paid employment for things that involve his job, but it just seems like every single event where they've got an MC, every single event that Absolutely. requires someone sporting to yep. commentate, there's Jeff there. So it's almost, if I turn up to something these days and someone I'm saying it's not Jeff Mann, I think, oh, Jeff must yeah, have been away or busy right. with some he's other function. all right, is he? Crook. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, yeah. So well, congratulations well to all those award winners. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Matt, the Community Leaders Breakfast was held recently. Now, this is an initiative we talked about there uh, last week. And, of course, you were saying there last week, this is the only time in Australia where we get the in this type of a forum on a regular basis, the uh, the mayor of a town, the uh, state member and the federal member all getting together for a chance to have a bit of a chat about issues that go across the spectrum from local through to federal level. Mm. So talk me through it. How's the response first and foremost from the general community in regards to this this time around? Yeah, really good again. And I really do enjoy these. As you say, three levels of government staying side by side in an open forum. We had eight councillors there at this particular event. Oh, we had some terrific. senior council staff and obviously our federal member, Mark Colton, and our state member, Dougal Saunders. Yeah. And the opportunity that's there is absolutely fantastic. And this is one of the bits of feedback that I get from people is, I love the fact that you do that. I didn't go down to it, but I love the fact that I could have gone down to it. But still, people come down and they did come down in this particular event. And uh, I didn't actually do a head count there, but I'd say there were probably 50 people or thereabouts coming in and out because we yeah. run it for a couple of hours, 7.30 yeah. in the morning to 9.30. We put free coffees and a little bacon and egg roll on. So you've got the opportunity to come in and have something to eat as well if you want. Yeah. But just the discussion, having the ability to discuss things. 
the number one topic, without a doubt, was roads. People was want to know yes, about. Was no probably no great surprise. No, in the not current at all. Situation. But yeah. it is still nice hearing from people face to face about their road and their particular situation. But having those three levels side by side, yeah. you can actually have those conversations with all three of you because there are parts of funding that come from sometimes federal, mm. sometimes state, sometimes local. So having those three there, in particular, talking about. A specific road. So this particular road, oh, that's a local road. Don't worry about Dougal or Mark with that one. That's mm. one of ours. Or this road, oh, it's a regional road. Let's go and get Dougal involved in this mm. one. So mm. those sort of conversations, I think, are fantastic. So roads, roads, and roads were talked about. We did talk about, as we've talked about before, the problems at the moment with both funding and the amount of water we've had and still that existing water. Mm. But we're still working our way through all those problems. But there are other issues that were brought up as well. Certainly down Macquarie Street in Dubbo, there's been some issues with some people causing some problems from a housing commission home down there. And so that was a good opportunity for people to talk about some of those issues. Oh, good. Yeah, good. A, a yeah, bit yeah. of water. There seemed to be a lot of water talk about this, uh, when we did that last one. There's certainly some water runoff. There's some areas around Dubbo and around the Dubbo LGA that have got water pooling, water running off, causing problems with erosion. So there were a few discussions around that. And then roads again. We talked about yes. roads. So yeah. <laughs> it's seen a bounce around with roads. But I really do enjoy them and I really do appreciate the public that comes along and has a discussion about whatever is on their mind. Sometimes yeah. they just want to talk about nothing in particular. There was one person who who's, was in a wheelchair who came along and talked about some disabled access and just said, look, I think things are going okay. I don't have any major issues at the moment, but thanks for the good work you're doing and keep it up. And it was just a bit of a passing comment and had a five-minute chat and on he went. So it doesn't have to be a burning issue. It doesn't have to be a big thing that you want to yeah. create a, a major drama with. It's Some people want to come down and, and bang the drum and that's fine. Mm. Some people just want to come down and say, how are things going and what are you doing next and what's the next plan? But it's just yeah. a conversation with those community leaders and making sure that you get your voice heard, I think, is a really important part of that. And I think you're right there. And I think one of the other things is, just in regards to that, one of the things I'd suggest that for a lot of people, it, it may be a little bit intimidating at times to sort of to, to walk into a space where you've got so many community leaders there together. And so I think it's wonderful, though, the fact that it's situations like this where we keep encouraging that. So we break down that barrier uh, between, you know, what people sort of regard as maybe politicians in a space and uh, how do I communicate a level? Am I going to sort of feel as though my question may not be good enough, may not be worthy enough to, to have a chat about? And I think what you're saying here, Matt, is that it's really important for all of us. If you've got an opinion or an expression of interest that you want to talk about, it's a great opportunity to get that voice out there. And that's how we make change happen, isn't it? So yeah, go through that communication. You're spot on. And it's actually interesting because I remember one of the very first ones that we did of these years ago. A woman came over to start to talk to me and she said, I'm having some trouble with my superannuation. There's some specific issues around that. Can you help me out? And I said, well, no, I can't because superannuation is not something local government deals with. Mm. But it just so happens that that's a federal government issue and we happen to have the federal member right here. So I'll talk her over to the federal yeah. member. It was Mark Colton at the time. And I introduced him and said, this is the problem. And I walked away because none of my business let that lady sort it out. Yeah. And I spoke to Mark a few weeks later and he said that issue that that particular woman had, he said, was actually really easy to fix. It's all been sorted. It was sorted out within a couple of days. And I said, it's amazing that she had that issue and didn't come and talk to you. And mm. he said that she actually said to him, you seem like a very nice gentleman, but your office is behind a closed door. Yes. And I always felt a bit guilty about walking into the office and wasting your time yep. with yep. my issue. But when you were standing out here in the open, it was just an open forum, yep. I felt more comfortable coming along. So it's that sort of thing as That's well. So even though story, it yeah, might absolutely. be intimidating, as you say, with all these leaders standing around, all these councillors and, and yep. senior staff, that sort of thing, mm. but it at the same time, I think it can be very intimidating walking in through the door. You open that door and walk yes. in and everyone stares at you. And, yes. Oh, wow, should I be here? But again, I would say yes. I'd encourage yeah. people to go and see. Don't worry about that closed door. But at the same time, those open forums give people that great opportunity. Absolutely. Great feedback. Now, during the week there, Matt, the local council meeting was held. Um, now, one of the things you talked about there in regards to the, the breakfast there was about the roads, the roads, and the roads. <laughs> now, there's, there's obviously a couple of weeks ago we spoke about this in the podcast about Sheraton Road there. And it's interesting to note that one of the things that seemed to have come out of Thursday was that there seems to be some action happening in regards to maybe not necessarily that road, but potentially how that road's being impacted by some of the, the large trucks and those type of things are going on. it. But it certainly sounds, looking as some of the outcomes from this, that there may be something here that council might be looking at in regards to trying to assist that road. You're spot on. And one of the things that's an issue there is that obviously in the past, before Boundary Road was opened up, 
traffic was all coming from the one direction, coming from the highway and accessing the schools that are along that part of Serreton Road and, and obviously the hardware store and some of those businesses there as well. And so that kept all in one direction. Once Boundary Road was opened up, fantastic. That's two access paths to that one location. But then obviously that road between Boundary Road and the school area, that part of Sheraton Road, was in a very poor state of repair. It had been that way for a number of years. I suppose it had more been highlighted once people could then access it going from Boundary mm-hmm. Road. One of the reasons that road's in a poor state of repair is because there are some heavy trucks that do use all of that Sheraton Road section, but that particular road there, which hasn't had much work done on it for many years. Mm. So there's a few things there. We can repair that road. It's expensive, obviously. Repair that road to a standard that can handle the normal vehicles that go to those schools and the businesses there and the heavy trucks that are going on there, but heavy trucks do more damage to roads. Mm. Or we could look at how, a bit the same as the Boundary Road solution, how do we get those trucks going somewhere in a different direction rather than going along Sheraton Road. So one of the outcomes from the meeting on Thursday night was that we gave an instruction and permission to our CEO to go and do some negotiations with some of the landowners in the Blue Ridge Business Park area. Which is the estate sort of connecting on the western side, oh sorry, eastern side there of Sheraton Road, isn't it? Yeah, correct. So up past the schools, up past the hardware store and the businesses there. You go past those to the east, that's all that Blue Ridge Business Park, Mm. and that's got more expansion to occur. But there's a a long-term plan, which we're going to make a shorter-term plan, that says take a road from the highway, bring that through some of that new development that will occur, and join that up, in effect, behind Sheraton Road. So in other words... It's like a bypass off that road section. Yeah, bypass is probably too strong a word, but but the concept is the the same. same, You are bypassing Sheraton Road, so technically it is that bypass. But this is always part of the long-term plan. Always, when that Blue Ridge section is built out there, there'll be a road that those developers will have to put in as part of the expense of building that development. Mm. But we're taking a slightly different approach. We're saying what we should do now is we should go and purchase some of that land from the developers, and we should go and build a higher quality road that can handle heavier traffic and build that now. When I say now, it's not going to happen next week, but Mm. it's going to be happening in the short term. And then also we've got to do some sort of deal with those developers to say, when you develop those blocks of land, you would normally have had to pay for a road at your expense. Once we've built it for you, we don't want the community to have to pay for all of that. So we still want you as a developer to contribute to the cost of that road, which we were already paid for many years ago. Mm. So that's a, a bit of complication in terms of that whole process there. The old buy now, pay later sort of thing. Exactly right. Yeah. You're going to have to pay for it at some stage. We're not going to yeah. make you pay for it now, yeah. but you would have had to pay for it down the track. So let's still make you pay for that at the same rate you would have paid for it anyway, but let that be a contribution. So the idea here is we'll then go out, purchase the land we need, build that high quality road to join that in there and then take that heavy traffic, which is good for the school traffic anyway to take those trucks away from in front of the schools, Mm. but also good for the actual road pavement. Doing all that, obviously, we're still going to do the work on Sheraton Road, repair that road anyway, but getting those trucks off there will help that road pavement stay in better condition for longer. So it's a big picture plan, but that's one thing that council is typically good at, planning big picture, planning long term. It's something that I think is a good innovative solution for a major problem that we've got at the moment and not all problems well sorry all problems can probably be solved by throwing money at it Mm. but it's a bit too simplistic just to say we need more money we don't have the money bad luck well if we haven't got the money are there other ways we might be able to address things and that might involve in that situation borrowing money and then obviously having that part of our overall budget paying that money back over years but again we know we'll get it back in the long term from developers i like the fact too that a plan it sounds like it's on its way which is good Mm, exactly right now, during the council meeting as well there, Matt, it looks as though council has endorsed the reallocation of $1 million from the heavy patching program to the regional roads maintenance budget. So I'm assuming here, uh, on layman's sort of reading of that, that we're talking here about instead of going, we're transferring some of the money right now from the, we talk about heavy patching, that's, that's like the, the major road work, and putting it into obviously potholes and you know, getting some of these these issues that are really causing problems on the roads right now. Is, is that the way we're sort of looking here from this reallocation of this money? Correct. So we've got $28 million approximately in our road budget for this financial year that okay. we're in at the moment. So, so $28 million set aside right now for that? Correct. Okay. So that's when we did our budget, our overall budget, in the vicinity of about $240 million. And of that, about $28 million is set aside for the road budget. Now, that's a whole range of different things. That's normal maintenance, that's some major repairs, that's some heavy patching, all sorts of different parts of that in that $28 million. Yeah. 
What we're finding at the moment is that we simply can't do the heavy patching work. The, mm. the bottom line is that, and I saw is, this. Is the ground too wet still? Is that yeah, the that's biggest right. problem? And okay. I saw this great video. It was a terrible video, but great to demonstrate it. Mm. Video during the week of our crews out there doing some work. They've cut out a section of road to go down to do some heavy patching. So in right. other words, cut out all the damaged bitumen, yep. get down to the base and start building the road again from the ground up, mm. which is what you need to do in some of these cases. Mm. And when they got down to that ground level, we're not talking about that deep down mm. underneath the bitumen. There was this video showing this water just constantly seeping up from underneath. Right? So the water table just sitting so high in it's that so space. So high, that's right. So you can it's imagine amazing. what do you do there? How do you seal that off and try and stop that water seeping up through bitumen? You think yeah. bitumen's pretty tough, but you get that water. Water's pretty good at getting through things. That yeah. constant water pressure from underneath, it's going to bubble through, create weaknesses in the road, and of course, yeah. then you'll see more potholes. So you can imagine, yeah. do heavy patching. Oh, great, we fixed that bit of road. Yeah. You come back two weeks later, there's a pothole in there already, and everyone say, well, council staff, they don't know what they're doing. They're mm. hopeless at doing this, mm. but it's not a case of that. The conditions are just so bad. So, so bad. rather than get frustrated or not be able to do any work at all, the council on Thursday night allocated a million dollars out of that heavy patching budget and said, take it from there, move it across to the short-term maintenance, so if you like, the pothole budget, and we can do more of that sort of work. Obviously, we don't have our staff, if they can't do heavy patching, sitting around saying, right, guys, let's play cards. We play Euchre or 500 today. Mm. You want them out there doing other work, which they are doing. They're not Mm. sitting around twiddling their thumbs. But again, it's just allocating that budget to the things that we can do rather than waiting until we can Mm. get that heavy patching. Now, that creates potentially a minor problem down the track because it takes some money out of one budget. We didn't create an extra million dollars. We didn't get an extra million dollars from somewhere. But at the moment, it's do what you actually can do rather than well, we'll leave the money in there and hopefully one day, well, hopefully one day is not coming. So we need to actually use the money in the best way we can. Just in regards to that, I'm going to ask you a question about uh, the whole idea of future planning of roads. Now, I know we talked about this uh, recently as well, rethinking the nature of roads. Um, because you mentioned here about the whole idea, you've got this water table rising right up. Now, bitumen by nature is basically a seal on rock. That's pretty much the way the sort of the, the road sort of network sort of set is basically done. Concrete's different. That's a whole sealing process. But it's a very expensive option. Mm. Now, as, as a future idea, because obviously we're in the midst here, we're seeing all the impact here of climate change. The way we've done our roads for so many years has always been a very traditional style of system, putting the you know, rock-based bound, put your bitumen over the top, seal it all in, and, you know, by right, that should basically hold. We get the potholes occasionally and we'll, we'll fix them up. If this is what we've experienced the last couple of years, if this is going to be the norm every couple of years we're going to sort of have to face this, what are your thoughts in regards to the nature of potentially changing the way we set up these roads? Is there any um, investigative research being done into how we can maybe change that? Sort of putting on here your your technical sort of hat on and your knowledge in this area. So one of the discussions I've had with both the Premier and with Sam Faraway, who's the Minister for Regional Roads and Transport, is exactly that. We all, every council screaming for more money, more money, please. We need more money. But I did say to both those gentlemen, maybe it's worthwhile saying we've got some money to give for various roads, but we're going to actually keep back 5% of that money or some amount of that money, and we're going to give a research project to CSIRO or some expert in road building because Mm. what you're saying is absolutely spot on. Is there a better way to build a road? Now, I've talked to some of the road experts, and when I see concrete roads, which we do see at various parts, if you're driving to Sydney, for example, or even Mm. concrete roundabouts, they're fantastic. That mm. concrete seems to hold roundabouts in particular. It doesn't seem to get that bitumen pushed up to the side no. on a normal bitumen roundabout. You yep. see a concrete roundabout and it stays in its shape. But what the experts tell me is that the amount extra you pay for concrete is not paid back in the number of years extra you get out of the road. So, mm. for example, let's say concrete road was 10 times dearer and you got five times as much life out of it, then it's not a good equation. If it was five times dear and you got 10 times the life out of it, then fantastic. Mm. So concrete, although it would be a great option, it just seems too expensive yep. at this stage. But there are other products, and at some of the conferences I've been at recently, there were some products that were being displayed, that were being advertised. Now, these were sales organisations trying yes. to sell their products yep. that actually talked about some of the things that you're talking about in terms of we're taking a different approach. Here's mm. our product. Use our product when you're putting the base down or don't use lime, use this particular mm. product instead. Mm. And I know in speaking to our government, our state government, they did talk about some examples out of the Netherlands where they're looking at some things happening overseas to see whether we can apply some of those things to here. Just to throw another little spanner in the works Mm. there, when we get disaster recovery money, so some roads that have been damaged in the floods, the state government, we have a, a deal with the state government, all councils do, that says when we have 
$2.7 million worth of damage done to our roads or infrastructure, we can get that money back like an insurance policy. We're not paying into an insurance policy, but the state government says to the councils, oh, you had $2.7 million worth of damage done, or whatever the figure might be. Here's that money to go and fix those things up. Now, we've said in the past, well, that's fantastic, but if we just build the road the same as it was last time, yeah, the next the same problem. That's right, the next round event. But it's just like an insurance policy. If you said to your insurer, oh, look, my three-bedroom house just burnt down, but I'd prefer a five-bedroom house because I've got a couple extra kids that I've had now, and the insurance company will say, I'm sorry, here's the you amount you get. You're three-bedroom. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. But the state government's come up with a slightly interesting concept or slightly different concept called betterment fund. So we can get the disaster fund to basically build back the road or the infrastructure to the same level it was. But then we can also apply for betterment fund where we can say, if you give us the same amount of money, we'll rebuild the road the same. But if you give us an extra X dollars, then we can make that better. So next time it will be able to withstand the flood or whatever the damage was that caused this particular incident. At this stage, it's not across the board. It's not carte blanche that you can get that. It's not guaranteed. It is a grant funding process, but at least they're thinking about this whole idea of making it better. So not yet. Your logic is absolutely perfect. The the process is only in place yet to be able to do that, but we are working on trying to get those processes in place. The green shoots are maybe starting to finally maybe start to come through. Yeah, and one of the things that I find, and this isn't a comment on any current governments, but one of the things that I find in general is that we used to think long term, we used to think more than one election cycle. And I think of the Snowy Mountain Scheme, I think of the Opera House, I think of the Harbour Bridge as three obvious examples that all took more than one, significantly longer than one election cycle to realise those three great projects. Mm. And that was okay. Politicians in those days seemed to think that longer term, that bigger picture. Now it seems to be, and maybe it's the cynic in me talking, but it seems to be if we're not going to be able to deliver that project in basically one election cycle... If I'm going to announce it, I want to cut the ribbon mm, on it. I don't mm. want someone else coming along yeah, in the future. Right, yeah. Four Parliament. years, five years later sort of thing, doing it and taking yeah. all the glory for it. Yeah. So the, the betterment concept is really about long-term, big-picture thinking, but I don't know that governments always think that way. But it's a, it's a good point, an absolutely valid point that you raise there. Now, there's a little bit of a lot of uh, those wonderful feel-good moments, I think, this week, Matt, because another one of those great feel-good moments that occurred, I suggest, was that there's been some significant funds given to a range of community groups during the week. So um, how does the process work again in regards to the funding uh, arrangements and who have been some of the recipients we've got? So this is one where people can put applications in, and these are various community groups. We've got criteria that people can read on our website and they can see whether their particular fund might be applicable or their particular uh, program, event, uh, the whatever their, their, absolute, their club, for example, might be, whether it might be applicable for some of these funds. When they decide that, yes, we fill all the criteria, they fill an application form, tell us what they're going to do with the money, how much money they need, and that goes through to council. Now, our council staff go and analyse all that, mm. see whether it matches criteria, etc., etc., and then ultimately, as a last step, it comes to council where we've got that information, a summary of the various organisations that it's been recommended to be funded, ones that might miss out, why they missed out, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then at the, the final spot, which is what happened at the council meeting on Thursday night, councillors say, yes, we approve those expenditures on those particular organisations. We'll give the checks out to those people probably in the next two weeks as a bit of a ceremony and congratulations. But what I like at those ceremonies is that I put the hard word on some of them and say, right, I've read your application. I, I know what you said you're going to do with it. But for the public here and the media here, tell us. Mm. We've just given you, mm. it might be $2,000, might be $500, might be $5,000. What are you going to do with that money? And so then they give a bit of an explanation. But what I always love about that is that we might give them relatively small amounts of money in the whole scheme of things. Yes. But what they then go and do with that, because they've that's got exactly these, my point I was about to say. It's amazing how far they can stretch five hundred dollars or two thousand right. dollars. And and this is because they've got that huge power of volunteers. Yes. They tap into their volunteers, they get all these volunteers to come and help them out. And so the bit of money we give them might buy some physical things that they need, but yeah. their volunteers go and do all the work. And yes. so to give you one example, so basically sorry, sixty thousand dollars we gave out. Okay, so sixty thousand dollars is the grant fund you give that, out every year? Uh, yeah. no, that's every half year. So every that, half year, okay. Yep, great. So that's that's fine. So this is round one of the fund at the moment. Beautiful. So basically we've got a range of organisations that received some of that money. The most anyone got, we had two organisations that got $15,000. The smallest amount allocated to anyone was $500. But to give you one example, 
there's a problem we have with Indian miners, and I just better make sure that I'm explaining that I'm not talking about small children from India. Oh, oh, okay, fine, my bad. <laughs> I'm talking about the Indian miner birds. Oh, the birds, the miner M Y N A. Yeah, my dog hates them as well. By the way, well, I think everyone does, yes. but there's too many of them, and yeah. we need to get rid of them. And so the traps, we need more of the traps. Now, the Dubbo Environmental Group, for example, Dubbo Environment Group said we want some money, we need to go and do this, try and control Indian miners. Yep. So we allocated $5,000 to them. Now, they'll spend, as my understanding of it, they'll spend most of that money on buying the traps. But right, then their okay. volunteers will go out and actually use those traps. Isn't that a great example, though, of how money is being well spent? Like That's oh, yeah. a, a terrific thing, is the yeah, fact that's that... Because right. most businesses and operations will put so much money towards their, obviously, the employee costs. Correct. And, you know, the, the capital costs aren't probably nearly as significant as probably what the employee costs. So it's a wonderful way of sort of seeing it. Yeah, yeah and Good you're example. right. In most organisations, you'd see the employee costs as being the number one expense. Not yeah, always, it's but it's a, certainly a major expense. Normally, yeah, that's yeah. right. But we had uh, different organisations, the Rotary Club of Dubbo, for example, Wellington Community Progress and Action Group, uh, Red Cross, Arana Early Child Intervention, Can Assist, Lifeline, Dubbo District Concert Band, Wellington Men's Shed. Actually, Dubbo Filmmakers, that's an interesting one. There are some really talented filmmakers in our community, but if you use equipment that's appropriate to your filmmaking ability, sometimes that can take you out of the game. The equipment can be too expensive. And I'm probably thinking as much as anything about maybe some amateur filmmakers, maybe some young filmmakers who could really do some great work, and they might just need a bit of equipment, or they might need just a bit of direction, a bit of help getting yep. there in the right direction. So the Debo Filmmakers is one organisation. They got $5,500 from us. And I think, and again, I don't know the exact uh, extent of what they're going to use that money on, but typically mm. I see the filmmakers spend that money on other film equipment. But then they have that equipment available to lend or rent out to their members yes. to access high-quality equipment for little or no money. And I think that is a really good way of getting that out there in the market. <laughs> There's a fantastic example of that with the Dubbo filmmakers. Uh, there's a, a wonderful young guy in town by the name of Joe Sonny. Now, Joe is uh, look, this guy, one of the most humble men that you'd ever sort of come across. This guy is such a humble man. The uh, What he's done is quite extraordinary. And I know that he is um, with the, the Dubbo filmmakers in regards to that. He's tightly linked, I'd suggest, in regards to these guys. Now, he's doing some incredible stuff on an international base, and I think he's got actually a new film coming out pretty soon as well. Yeah, I've actually seen his previous films. I've been along to watch his previous films, and I actually call him Jose, so I'm not sure Jose. if it's Jose or Jose. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he'll answer to both. That's right, I'm sure he would. But he's got the next screening, and I'd encourage people to go along. It's on Saturday, December 3rd. There's two screenings of it, 6.30pm and 8pm at Reading Cinemas. And already it's been screened around the world, not everywhere around the world, but it's been screened in India. It's already been screened in places like Canberra, Newcastle, Adelaide, uh, Melbourne, Liverpool, Auckland. So it's in various places and here in Dubbo. But you're right, that's a perfect example of someone who is a good, passionate amateur filmmaker. He's got his normal day job, does a great job at his day job. But after hours and on weekends and in, in various holidays, I'm sure, he involves various people. And I know it seems to get each time I go along and watch one of his films, he talks to me about how many people are involved in it, how many actors are involved, and it seems to be growing all the time. So I think the first ones I watched were fairly short films. Yes. This one now, I think this is up to about a 42-minute film. That's like a feature film length. It's <laughs> getting, getting there, very isn't it? Strong, yeah. yeah. So it. there are tickets. I think they're only $10. Tickets Beautiful. for Reading Cinemas this weekend. I'm sure if you go and uh, Google, the, the name of the film is I Am Michael, M-I-K-H-A-E-L. So if you yeah. Google that, I'm sure you'd find it. Or Jose Sunny, J-O-S-E, Sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. I'm sure you'd find it there. But look, I encourage people to go along and encourage yes. that sort of young talent oh. in our community, but also just seeing the things you can do in our mm. community. You've got access mm. to these resources. You've got these people that can help. And he is a member of the Filmmakers, and I know he does use some of the resources there. Yeah. So it is a great example of taking that money and what people can do with it in our community. Well, as the wonderful Molly Meldrum used to say, do yourself a favour and go out and buy a ticket. (laughs) 
I read with interest here that uh, during the week, so getting back to the council side of things there for a second, there's been an expression expression of interest call for a licence agreement for 74 Wingiwara Street. Now, for those who don't know Wingiwara Street, this is the old uh, city bowling club site, I think. Is that what the, I think the site is, Matt? Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah, exactly right. And so talk me through it. What's, what's, what are you looking for here? Because I thought council had plans here for a bit of a long-term development on this. Is, yeah, is this that's a, right. a long-term thought or is it a short-term? And, and I'll go back a little bit. I'm not convinced it was the greatest decision ever of council to end up with ownership of that. And okay. there's a, an organisation that came along and said, we own this particular building site here and we want some other land. And council said, oh, we'll do your land swap. And I personally wouldn't have done that if I was at council at the time. If someone wanted some land, I would say, we'll sue that land if it was appropriate for them mm. to, to buy that land or sue some land. If someone said, we've got a building here for you, would you like it? Then the first thing I would do is I'd say, well, do we have a strategy? Do mm. we have a business plan? Do we have a mm. use for that parcel of land or that property? And a bit the same as you as an individual, you don't just go and randomly buy a house mm. unless you've got a plan for it. Am I going to rent it out? Am I going to move sure. into it? Do my kids want to move into it because they're sick of living with me? A business is the same. You don't normally go and buy a random building just because. You normally yeah. have some sort of strategy or plan. So councils end up in the ownership and I'm not criticising at all the organisation that used to own this. It's Nothing to do with them. It was a council it's decision council to decision. do it. Yeah, they, they had but the property up for sale and, and whatever it was, and council decided to jump in from the sound of that moment. Well, and again, sure, do that if you've got a strategy. Yeah. They have a strategy. So when we came along as a new council, one of the questions we asked in the very early days was, we've got the old WCD bowling club. What are we doing with it? Mm. And the answer from our staff was, we don't know. There oh, was really? a decision. So, so there was no actual plan set in no place? No plan at all. There was a decision by the former okay. councillors to acquire this and, again, ignore the method of, of acquiring it. That's not really relevant. Yeah. But once they got it, well, they thought we'd work out something to do with it, which again doesn't sound like a great strategy. Mm. So we've got to do that. We've got to go through that process and plan a strategy. Now, there are so, so many things. Point, sorry to, to interrupt you there. That's so right. At this point in time, the council still has no plan for that land. Is that the. Correct. So okay. that's, that's part of the process. We're doing a whole range of different master plans for different areas of Dubbo at the moment. Probably one thing we have missed over the last few years has been that strategic thinking, that long-term planning, that vision, we've got to do a bit of catch-up work in that. Mm. And this is another one of those areas. Now, we know there are so many things we're trying to do at the moment. There's so many things we're trying to catch up on. We know we're not going to have a plan for this particular building in the next few months. But it seems a shame to have this building and this space in there idle, Mm. used ad hoc here and there. Mm. It doesn't seem like it makes sense. So if we know we're going to take a bit of time to come up with what our vision, our plan, and we'll go through a process with the community to make sure they're on board with whatever our long-term vision is, then in the meantime, let's use it. Mm. So we've said to the community, and this is advertised right now, and you can do it up till the 7th of December, we've basically said, we're asking for expressions of interest. If you think you've got some use you can have for this property, and it's got to be no more than two years, because in two years' time, we'll already have a plan, a vision ready to go. So if you're in there... We don't want to make you feel like we're kicking you out. Sure. We're saying to you up front. It's like a short-term lease almost. That's right. We're, going, we're saying to people in this expression of interest, it's got to be a minimum of one year, but it can be no more than two years. Okay. So if you've got something that you think you're going to do and you want a, a long-term place to do all that, don't even consider it. But if you think, oh, there's an idea I've got or a project I've got that I want to get up and going, it can be a community-based project, it could be a mm. private business, whatever it might be, then we're saying, put an expression of interest in. We've got a form on our website to do that. Okay. It doesn't have to be incredibly detailed. What we're really trying to find out from people is, what's the idea you've got? What do you yeah. want to do with it? And how much are you willing to pay? Because we want to get some return for the ratepayers of Dubbo. Yep. So tell us how much you're willing to pay in a rental so, fee. So you don't actually have a figure on this per se. Is it going to depend upon what the expressive interest is? Is that like if it's a community group, it could be different to a private enterprise? Is that the type of well, thing? Well, one or? of the things, and I can't speak for the minds of the other nine councillors, sure. but from my perspective, it will be weighing up those two. So if someone came along, for example, with this great community project that was really going to benefit the community and they're willing to pay a certain amount – and a private business came along and said, I'm just going to run a business out of there, and they're willing to pay more, then I'd probably look at the community one, even though it was a bit cheaper, depending on the differential in price. Mm. If Mm. the business was going to pay 20 times the amount that the community organisation was going to pay, I'd probably say, well, look, the benefit of the community overall is better for that higher price. What we like people to do is to put in a price that's a fair and reasonable price that they're happy to pay, they can afford to pay, obviously that we want them to be financially sustainable, but also we want to get that maximum return. So there's a point of negotiation there, I suggest, between whoever comes forward and regards with council and what the outcome could be. Well, we'll have to make a decision. So we'll base it, first of all, on the information that comes in. So it's not as if we'll start doing a a bit of a private auction amongst all these 
organisations that might put something in. Yep. But I've had a number of suggestions already that have been put forward to me. Okay. Some are a little bit commercial, some are very focused on the community, but already just, this is only just from Thursday night's council meeting, already mm. I've had uh, three different organisations who have actually come forward and said, we'd love to do this, and yeah, okay. uh, here's the information. I said, great. Put it's a central in location. Like, uh, from the point of view of Dubbo, it, it's, it's right in the heart of, I'd suggest, you've got the cultural side of things on one side and you've got a sporting precinct on the other. So mm. you're, you're a very central location there. So there's opportunities for both sides and private, I'd suggest, that could possibly work for either two. And you've hit the nail on the head. It was quite interesting because someone said to me, oh, I thought that place was being reserved for cultural activities. Mm. Now, there's no being reserved for anything because, mm. as we said, there's no plan for it whatsoever. But this is a short-term thing. So if someone comes along with the idea for a cultural activity or sporting activity or a private business, that's only going to be for that short-term process. So mm. it might end up being used for cultural long-term, might end up being used mm. for sport long-term. I don't know the answer to that, but this is really, I can't emphasise that enough, this is really a short-term project to get some income for the community from it, to use it, why have it sitting there and not use it, mm. and basically have something that's happening in our community which is better. And then, again, two years' time, we'll have worked out what our long-term plan is, and more than likely, that particular tenant probably won't be a part of that long-term plan, so they'll need to yeah, move out and move somewhere else. Have I me mentioned that enough? Have I mentioned that it's two years maximum? I think you've done very well on that one. <laughs> oh, now, Matt, we're moving into an area here which is actually very close to my heart. You're moving into the, the teaching background here with uh, St Lawrence's Primary School had a green day during the week. This is a great little initiative, isn't it? So now you had the pleasure of going along there during the week, I'd suggest, Matt, to uh, St. Lawrence's, that wonderful little school up there at the top of Tamworth Street. Yeah. Um, so talk me through it. What was their little green day? What did they do? So they were very focused on climate change, what's happening with climate change, and they wanted to know about some of the council initiatives around that. And, of course, they liked the idea of looking at some electric vehicles as well. So yeah. the principal up there, Susan, contacted me and said, could you come along and talk to the students about some of the climate policies of council, but they'd also love to see your electric vehicle as well. Mm. So I end up arranging four electric vehicles to come along. Oh, I had the deputy mayor who also drives an electric vehicle. Excellent. He brought his along. He gave a bit of a talk as well. And I, I brought my car along, my wife's car along, and then another resident that I know lives near there. I asked her to bring her car along. Yep. One of the things that struck me, and it was actually only as I was talking to the students about some of the policies of council, I looked around the room and it's a primary school. So the maximum age there is about 12. And I was talking to them and I said, I think everyone in this room understands the type of things we've got to do for the future of this planet. Mm. You're 12 years of age maximum. So you've grown up with this discussion around climate change and around action. It's just become part of the norm, hasn't it? Really? It has. And so, and I actually said to them, you are playing, the students in, in the room here are going to play an incredibly important role because the future is in the room sitting on the floor, not sitting around the edge where yes. the teachers were, yes. the future is on the floor where that will be the norm. So they're 12 years of age. When they get their licence, I guarantee most of those kids will be driving an EV. Yeah. Most of those kids are accustomed to having solar panels on the roof of their house or their parents' house, not their house yet probably. Yes, yes that's but right. But all these things that we're doing, the change that we're making are just going to happen. Now, for people that are your age, my age, for older people – Climate change is exactly that. The Things focus are happening. on change, isn't it? That really exactly is right. the word change. So we we've got to change, change what we're doing. And it, that's a struggle for some people. Mm. I speak to some people and they say, oh, well, I'll never go and buy an electric vehicle because I do this and this and this. And you go, well, you can do all those electric vehicles. Mm. One person said to me, I wouldn't have an electric vehicle because I drive on a farm and there's not enough ground clearance on an electric vehicle. Well, the electric vehicle is only the motor. That's the propulsion method. Mm. How much ground clearance you have mm. is up to the individual model. And there are models out there that have got good ground clearance. But yes. again, I don't want to focus on electric vehicles so much. No. But one of the things that really, I suppose, was interesting out of that was that it really actually started me thinking differently. And so I think teachers do do a great job in educating students about the process going forward and things we've got to do. But those kids are going to drive it forward much quicker than anyone else. And I did yeah. talk to one student in particular. Sarah was there. And Sarah had a group of her friends there looking at some of the electric vehicles. And she was actually pretty up to date with her knowledge of electric vehicles right. and pretty advanced in her discussion around electric vehicles. She's only fairly young. Yes. But it was actually quite interesting just talking to Sarah, talking to some of her friends about all the things that she thought would happen and the, the changes that we'd see. Mm. Again, for them, it was the norm. So yes. I'm really excited. It probably got me more excited than anything else about the future. I think the future of our planet is in safe hands. 
want to look around that room and see what they're doing. The two ministers for the school got a chance to go for a ride in one of my electric vehicles, so we had a teacher in the car with me. Uh, we got permission from the school and, and the council insurers for me yes, to take yes, a couple of kids for a ride. All sort of paperwork's been all signed that sort of off. stuff. That's yes. right. So that was pretty exciting for those two students. Yeah. And then they're doing a colouring in competition now, and the winners of that colouring competition get to go for a ride in electric vehicle as well. But again, even that, when those two students got back, I talked to one of them mm. and said, "Now your job is to go and talk to the rest of the, your fellow students because not many have been in electric vehicle mm. and talk to them about the experience." And the one teacher that came along, he was pretty stoked and. He thought it was pretty cool oh, going for a drive in it. But it was a good day, a good initiative from the school yes. just to talk about the green day. They all came dressed in green. I wore a green tie to get in with the theme of all Brilliant. the rest of it. But again, it's that whole thing about this is our future. We've got to just start moving down that path and not resist. And council, mm. one of the big things with council is not just what we do on our buildings, not just what we do with our cars. We can influence, say, we've got 500 permanent employees of council. We can influence 500 people, but we should be influencing 55,000 people with our leadership and our direction. Lead by example. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. A little bit more exciting news. There's been a launch of a new building at the School of Rural Health here in town. Now, this operation, how long is this? Is this the Sydney University connection point for the School of Rural Health? Is this this what we're talking about here? Correct. So now, how long has this been going for now? Because we've this is, it started as a, a bit of an idea for, um, for the Sydney Uni guys how many years ago? The University of Sydney started offering students the opportunity for a one-year or two-year placement in Dubbo way back in 2001. There's been this continuous growth since then, hasn't there? Not over the first 20 years, but it actually is all changing or has changed this year. Go back a little way. Medicine at the University of Sydney used to be an undergrad degree, but they changed it to a postgrad degree. Many moons ago, when I was studying science at the University of Sydney, I went straight from school to uni at the age of 17. I met other people at uni, went straight from school, and they were studying medicine. It was a five-year degree, which at some stage, I can't remember when, but turned to a six-year degree. But then at some stage after that, med changed to a four-year graduate program. That meant that people would do their undergrad degree and whatever degree they chose, not necessarily related to a medical field, but sometimes it was. And then after they achieved their first degree, they could then apply to study medicine at the University of Sydney. What they then introduced was years three and four of that degree, you could go to certain regional locations. Dubbo was one of those. Right. It was interesting because way back when, and I remember talking to Sydney Uni about this, they were having trouble getting, and at that stage, I think it was 16 students from year three and 16 students from year four. So they wouldn't want to come out to the rural. Is that your basically They saying? didn't want to come to Dubbo. Oh, they, okay. they had trouble getting them to Dubbo. And so I came up with a couple of ideas and a couple of initiatives. But in the end, we got this bus tour happening. And so I used to go along and talk to students. So they'd say to students, anyone that's thinking about going regionally, we've got a bus tour, a free weekend, maybe a couple of drinks, a bit of fun. Yep. So they used to get students along. But then I'd go along and talk to them, sometimes at a function here, sometimes. There was one time I remember I was actually in Sydney at a different function. We organised for the bus to be put up on the side of the road and we pulled all the students out and right? gave them a talk. Yep. Yep. And we used to bribe them a bit of merchandise as well, some Nothing wrong with Dubbo that. coffee cups. Or, there you go, put it in there. <laughs> That's right. A couple of I love Dubbo t-shirts. <laughs> exactly right, all that sort of thing. <laughs> but I think the thing that impressed those students when I was doing that was that they'd never met a mayor. They probably didn't even know who their local mayor was because a lot of these students were from Sydney. Yes, so they yes. had no real inkling about that connection. And so they were pretty impressed about yeah. the mayor bothering to come along and mm. talk to them. And I used to give the mayor of Orange a bit of a hard time because I'd, they'd just look at Orange and Dubbo and I'd say, oh, look, when you have your discussion with the Orange mayor, and I knew that he didn't go along and talk to them. <laughs> and uh, and then the students would start going, oh, oh, and I'd say, oh, oh, really? Isn't the Orange mayor coming along to talk to you? Oh, I thought you students were important enough that the Orange mayor would come along. Look, the Dubbo <laughs> mayor's coming along. Uh, but what happened from that, it just demonstrated them. I used to talk a lot about the things that they would see out here, and that bus tour would actually physically show them. Before they knew it, they were oversubscribed, so they were getting oh, more students right, than they okay. So that yep, worked yep, really well, yep. and that went on for a number of years. Then there was some lobbying being done, and I was involved in this as well, when we used to go down to Parliament House in Canberra, lobby the various ministers of the day to get to the point where it wasn't just years three and four, mm. but it was the whole medical degree. Mm. And one of the things that was really strong in that lobbying was that the results that the students used to get were quite impressive from the regional locations. And I remember talking to a group of students one year and the year three and year four students, the top 10 from all of Sydney Uni, in one of those years, I think it was two students and the other ones, three students out of the top 10 came from Dubbo. Is that fantastic? So out of a small wow. cohort, yeah, yeah. out of several hundred students studying medicine at Sydney yeah. University, 
some of those students were mm. here in the top 10. And what the student said to me was a couple of things. One, the study environment was great. It was a very relaxed, very nice study environment. Yep. But the other thing they found good, which maybe doesn't sound so good, but they used to get exposed to all a things. range of different yes. things. Don't in, you hear this all the time with it? Exactly yeah, right. Yeah, in yep. Sydney, there were particular things, and particularly emergency medicine, yep. there were particular things they used to get exposed to more often than other things. But in regional locations... They just got exposed to so many different things, so many mm. different illnesses. And again, that doesn't sound great from no, no, the health of our no, residents' right. perspective. But they used to get that exposure, so they found that better. And the teaching environment was a bit more personalised because you had fewer students to work yes. with. So suddenly, it was seen that going regional was really good. It's for, actually an advantage, probably. That's right. Not just yeah. for your lifestyle, but for your actual study. Yeah. So this is the first year that we've actually had the first of the four years being studied out here. So the so, year one students okay, so, this so year. That's brilliant, isn't it? So right now, so let, let's say a, a young graduate here, doesn't have to come from Dubbo, of course, but let's yep. say a young graduate here in Dubbo, they want to study medicine, can now go and study medicine full-time here in Dubbo. So they don't need to go to Sydney for their first two years of their degree and then go back regional, they can start here. Wow. Now, it's popular. So yes. you've got, in each year, you've got 24 students, so 24 students in year one, two, three, yep. four. Yeah. But this year, they had several hundred applications to start in year one. Is that right? So wow. that's so for the Dubbo. It's actually very competitive to actually go here. Now. Correct. That's for the wow. Dubbo campus. So they've got now some great students there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the building that was launched this week is a building they've been using throughout the year, but they've been trying to get the various people together the, you know, the vice chancellor and the chancellor and the, yeah. the dean of medicine, all the various people they had to get together for the actual opening. Yeah. But I got to have a tour through the building. I hadn't been up there to the new building before. I've been to some of the older buildings. But mm. the new building, in terms of state of the art facilities, was fantastic. Mm. some of the, the dummies they had set up there. So you've got, you walk into what looked like a hospital room and there's a person laid out there but isn't mm. a real person. Yep. But then they have someone behind a darkened window so they can actually watch and they can manipulate this particular dummy like on there. Like a little robot type thing. Well, they can make it cough. They can drop oh, the wow. blood pressure. They can make the heart rate increase, decrease, a whole range of that's ailments. That's isn't it? Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and they talked to me, some of the, the people that work, they talked to me, they said they have a great time behind this darkened window <laughs> watching the students trying to work out what the problem is after they CPR adjust folks, bring this right away, here we go. Yeah, that's right. And even the exam, I talked to a couple of the students who were doing one of their exams later on that day and they said the really tough exam was when they walk into the room, they have to read the chart of the person, mm. they've got a certain number of minutes to be able to diagnose what's the problem and what to do next. Wow, so it's very realistic. That's right. That's the one that puts the pressure on them because sometimes they'll throw some curly ones in there as well. Mm. The anatomy ones, they said those exams aren't too bad because you've grown up knowing bits of the body and parts of the body. So Mm. identifying and just going through some of those parts, they said those ones we're not too bad with, but the, the actual clinical exam where you've got to yeah. diagnose, that's really tough. The other awesome. thing that was interesting is one of the other rooms there, there were a whole range of body parts. And one of the doctors there, one of the teaching what, doctors... Real body parts? No, no, all plastic, oh. all simulated body okay. parts. Yeah, sorry. Excellent. Excellent. I, I, I wonder why you get so excited that. about that, but anyway, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but one of the doctors told me that when he did medicine many years ago, you basically had, throughout your medicine degree, you would have physically cut up a cadaver. So that would be part of the process of learning. But now they're at the point where the simulations are so good and all the body parts. So they had these various body parts laid out in one particular room and the accuracy, and again, I haven't seen inside a body, but it looked pretty accurate to me. But it was quite fascinating to see that that's all part of it. So that's pretty exciting. I know there is in the cohort this year, I've talked to a few of the students before at different functions, Mm. but I do know there's a Dubbo student there. And he told me that he already had done his undergraduate degree. He was actually in Dubbo using his degree as part of his job. And he never really thought about doing medicine. Mm. But once this opportunity came up to do it here, he went, well, gee, I could do that. I I think that'd be part of it. And I guarantee that the ultimate outcome we want from this, and this is what will happen in this case, is once he's finished his medical degree, he'll stay regional. Whether it's Dubbo or not, it probably will be. stay regional, full stop. But he'll be regional. But this is what we see from these students who study regionally. The longer they spend studying regionally, the higher the percentage is that they will actually be in a regional area. So that's fantastic. Mm. But even some of the other students, I spoke to one from Forbes. I spoke Mm. to another one who'd been around the country a bit, Victoria and Perth and Dubbo. But when I talk to them all about their long-term plans, Mm. they all love the regional environment. They all Mm. love Dubbo at the moment, but they'll Mm. all stay regional. And that's great for regional doctor shortages. Mm. So when we talk about offering extra financial incentives for doctors mm. to come regional, a whole range of different things. What they need to do is just train them regionally, yeah. which is what's happening now. Get them now. to stay here and just experience living in a place like Dubbo. And that's it's a long-term plan, but that is the ultimate solution there. Yeah. So that's fantastic. I, I just think going forward, mm. we'll see this hopefully continue on and this will give us more regional doctors. And the program might expand at the moment. They're at their maximum capacity, but it might even expand a little bit. Who knows? Wonderful. Some wonderful news. 
No matter on the sporting front, the talk about awards, boy oh boy, we've been talking about awards a lot here today. The Dubbo Regional Sports Awards. Now, they were held the other night as well. So um, from the outcome of that, obviously another great night would have been uh, held in regards to that. So what are the Dubbo Regional Sport Awards? What are they about? Now, these have been going for, I think, some of the vicinity of 15 years now. And we've got the local Dubbo Sports Council, so they're very involved in this. And Mark Colton is our federal member. And Andrew G is a federal member for the Wellington area are both involved as well. So essentially, this is really just some way of recognising some of the great sporting talent and achievements we've got in our region. Now, there are too many categories for me to go through. There are lots of categories on the night. But Mm. if you've been at school, for example, you might have represented your school or made it to some form of state or regional, even Australian championships. And again, the number of people, as I was watching the awards on the night, just the number of people that are involved in so many different areas. Mm. You even had some of the masters that are involved in things. So it's not just for students. It's really across the gamut. Yep. And it's a great part of living in a regional area. I think people yeah, get more sport opportunities. Is, Absolutely. Yeah, more opportunities sporting-wise as well because you can get to those sports and it's yeah. easy to get those sports. It's five minutes from one sport to another sport. Yes. And even there was one particular person there that he had represented his school and gone on to high representation in five different sports. Wow. And I was thinking about that yeah. and I thought, I guarantee that you couldn't have that in Sydney because mm. it would have just been too hard. I'm sure he played many of those sports on weekends. Mm. It'd be too hard to get from sport to sport. But in Dubbo, mm. if you play multiple sports, it's five minutes down there, five mm. minutes across there, or multiple siblings, and there were a few times yes. where some multiple siblings received awards, but multiple siblings, again, it would be very difficult for someone in Sydney to yeah. say, right, we've got to take one child to netball, the next child to rugby or to cricket yes. or whatever it might be. Oh, Here, give, you give can me do a classic that. example. I've got a, uh, a brother of mine who lives in Seaforth in Sydney. He's got a daughter who's uh, a state hockey player and uh, very talented. But for him, on a Friday night, it, it might be an hour's run to get across over there to, you know, Moorbank or whatever to have to play. Now, you can't be running your kids through Sydney traffic and that sort of mm. stuff for four or five different sports. Yeah. You know, once a week in that situation, you can tolerate, but doing that four or five times a week, yeah, that would get very tiring after a while. Yeah, and I can remember when I had my kids all at home and all playing sport, it was... Oh, it's five minutes across from soccer to netball, or and, and <laughs> oh, there's a bit God. of traffic on Saturday morning. The next four and a half minutes. <laughs> That's right. So it, it is certainly easier in that regional environment. But congratulations, a number of award winners mm. on the night, and it just really not that I probably was not thinking that way, but it just really demonstrated to me some of the incredible talent we've got, and across mm. so many different sports, and even some of the the probably the kids that I do know of or know their parents that I know have been going well in certain sports when you see some of things laid out on screen at the actual awards night about some of their achievements yes. you go wow they really are achieving quite well so congratulations to all those Absolutely. it's a it's a game that very positive environment and what I also love is just how fit and healthy everyone looked there. So mm, people mm. sometimes criticise... Well, you wouldn't look out of place. Me, I might sort of show <laughs> that spot. <laughs> well, no, they look a lot fitter than me. But, but again, I think it's that thing, when you see an event like that, you sometimes see people criticising sport because too much money spent on it. Mm. But when you see how healthy looking everyone is, and yeah. then you look at the, the general obesity in society, for example, yeah, yeah. you say, well, there's got to be some advantage for these people and all the sport they're playing. It's obviously right. doing something for their health overall. So... Yeah, look, good well, night, and that happens absolutely. every year, and it'll happen again next year, and we'll see another great group of people that win a huge I'm range sure of sure we awards. will. Well done to all involved. <laughs> I've a quick little question for you. Um, I found the fact that uh, this is coming through too from a viewer, and you might be able to sort of to, uh, to fix it up for us. Um, when you ring up council, there's all those little last little footnotes sort of points. When you ring up council, uh, you, they'll generally ask for two things. They'll ask for your name and your date of birth. Now, is this something that still keeps going or is this something possibly may be changed? I've never understood this. And I didn't actually know it happened until just recently mm. when someone told me they're in council because I don't tend to ring council. I don't tend to ring that's customer like, service at council. You don't your own home. You don't do it very often, <laughs> no, do you? that's right. And so someone told me they rang and they were a little bit concerned, disturbed, affronted. I'm not sure exactly, but they weren't very happy mm. about the fact that it was exactly you said, what's your date of birth? And I just thought that was a bit strange. Mm. It seems like we've got customer service, and if you're focusing on, focusing on customer service, why are you asking out of birth? Now, it was something that was apparently introduced in the last council. Again, I didn't know why. So we did council laws. We did actually yep. ask our general manager, our CEO, say, why do we do that? Is there any requirement? Is there any legal requirement? What's the, the point of that? It was introduced before, but yep. who knows why it was introduced and if we don't need it, let's scrap that. It just mm. seems like something that doesn't need – you don't need to make mm. the process harder for people mm. when they ring up. And so we've got the answer back that basically it had been introduced 
as a way to make it a bit more efficient for our staff to be able to look up details that you might need looked up about you. Do you need to do that all the time though? No, and that was our point. It's, you don't really need to do that all the time. So why do that? So in the end, we said, well, if we don't need to do it. Let's scrap it. And then if you do go through a process and we need to look up something about someone, sure, you might need to ask it at some point in the conversation. But when it's when it's the first thing that you're met with, yes. then it just didn't seem to be sensible or correct. Anyway, so good news is that now from... This week on, if you're in council, sure. Just be simply what's your, your name, name and what's your favourite football team. That's right. So Manly <laughs> is the correct answer for that. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's been scrapped now. And again, this is the, the great process we've got in place. When people do give feedback, then I know councils will yeah. and our staff will as well. Take that feedback on yeah. and let's see why something's done. And if there's an answer to it, if there's a resolution, then let's go and resolve that. So from now, you won't need to get that date of birth. Uh, our staff probably will make the mistake the first few times people yeah, ring and start asking because they've been so, so used to it. Be patient with them. Be patient with yeah, them. Yeah, and keep in mind, it's not the staff that answered the phone that no, made this decision. That's it was right. the previous council that made the decision. Don't shoot the messenger. That's exactly right. They had to do what they were instructed to do. Yeah. But again, it didn't make sense. And look, I've actually found businesses and government departments sometimes focus very inward. So they mm. put things in place sometimes that make it easy for them. But you've got to remember, customer service is mm. your game. Even in council, customer service is your game. So if it makes it offensive or makes it difficult for someone when they ring in, and presumably it's not difficult, people can remember their date of birth, but it's, mm. it seems a bit offensive, especially with so many data breaches and data leaks at the moment, people probably don't want to give their date of birth. If, someone, mm. if I ring some organisation and said, I want to get some help and ask data of birth, I'd be asking why. Why do you need data of birth to be able to answer this simple question for me? So I can understand that. So this one I think was very inward looking. Yeah. Let's look outward. Let's look at our customers. Let's look at the residents of Dubbo. Mm. They're our customers. And let's make it better and easier for them. Well, it sounds like a sensible outcome. And of course, the answer is not manly. It's Parramatta. <laughs> All right, Matt. It's that time of the week again where we're up to your limerick. So... What have you got for us this week, mate? Well, you did talk about Dubbo Day at the very beginning. Yes. And it was a very exciting day. So I thought this week we'd focus on our Dubbo Day award winners who are fantastic volunteers and do a fantastic job. So this week we celebrated Dubbo Day with an award ceremony worthy of Broadway. The citations did demonstrate how the winners were all great for these volunteers helping is part of their DNA. Oh, that's definitely one of your best ones yet. Well done. <laughs> well done. All right, folks, that just about wraps us up for our Merrill Memo moments here today, this week with our podcast. So until next week, everyone, take care. Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.